Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster in current times as once again we put the topic of leadership under the microscope. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on the programme today by Steve Walker. Steve is the chairman of Walker Construction, a construction firm now based in Kent with satellite offices in Buckinghamshire and Surrey. Steve, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Hi, thank you for having us. We're looking forward to it. Um, thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me. Now, um, the purpose of this podcast, Steve, is to gather together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership as a whole. And I think it's fair to say that it's really being put to the test at the moment, isn't it, with the existing COVID-19 situation and different business leaders feeling their way through the crisis. So for somebody working in the construction industry, such as yourself, how has it been trying to navigate the last few weeks, considering that you've had to continue to operate? Well, obviously, it's been difficult because uh, there's no precedent for anything like it in the past. Um, And obviously, the government's mandate was that the construction industry, where possible, obviously adhering to safe working, should continue. Um, We were fortunate where we did manage to keep at our lowest point about 30% of our projects operating. Um, It did mean that we had to furlough um, some 140-odd staff at, at the peak, Um, But over the last two or three weeks, we've seen projects come back online. Um, We're now probably at 90% capacity and down to about 60 staff furloughed. And when I'm talking about capacity, I'm talking about site capacity. Um, The biggest problem we've really encountered during the uh, period today is supply. Um, Because although the government uh, wanted the construction industry to continue, an awful lot of the supply chain took it upon themselves to to close for obviously justifiable reasons because they felt they couldn't work safe or whatever. But we found things like builders, merchants, concrete supply and so forth um, became very scarce. And that was the reason why we had to uh, stop a lot of our sites because it was just totally impractical to continue. Um, And obviously, that's had a financial implication for us. We've got some clients who are quite happy to accept that there's been an increased cost, but we've got others where we're having uh, challenging discussions with them to to prove that. Um, But fortunately, through being prudent as a company in the past, um, you know, we've got um, reserves in place and the support of our financial institutions um, to see us through for the moment. But um, it is very much day by day. Prudence is a huge um, quality um, in leadership, isn't it? Um, being able to uh, store reserves, and especially in business, for um, a rainy day, as it were. But I think that experience um, that you've had of like negotiating uh, this uh, crisis and getting through this uh, current storm, that breeds resilience, doesn't it? So the experience of having to go out of your comfort zone and uh, really deal with times of adversity when the chips are down, as it were, I think that's there, there's some positives to take from that, aren't there, in the way that it builds character? Oh, definitely. And this, this situation will mean we work in a different way forever, I'm sure. You know, there's going to be certain things now like Zoom meetings and so forth that will be used more regularly once we're through this. I mean, like I said earlier, there was no precedent. We're very lucky that in our business we've got a very, very strong and uh, proactive-minded um, uh, leadership team um, with myself and my fellow directors. Um, and, uh, you know, that's fortunate for us. Um you know, uh, in the construction industry, you're always facing challenges that you've never really come across before. And, you know, we have a mantra that nothing is a problem. It's just a challenge that needs a solution. And uh, this has certainly been a big challenge. But as I say, we're fighting our way through it day by day. And um, it certainly gives us um, some good information 
that we can take into other challenges going forward, the way we work with things. But the biggest thing that we have found through this is the tremendous support of our staff to try and help the business, those that have had to accept down on furlough, those that have continued working, some on reduced wages. You know, their support has, has been the main thing because, you know, without them and what they've done, um, you know, we may well not well have survived. You know, our, our, the Walker Construction family isn't my family name. It is the team of people that we employ. And it's because of them that we've been able, able to hold such a steadfast position throughout this. It certainly brings out the best in people, times of adversity, doesn't it? And it's a testament to the adaptability of people within business and businesses themselves that it's been able to continue to innovate and keep running throughout this um, entire period. Um, Tell me, when we talk about adaptability um, here, Steve, have you found yourself having to adapt certain aspects of your leadership style to maintain contact, essentially remotely from a distance, when sometimes people can't always gather in that common office environment anymore? Well, definitely. I mean, we've had to um, send out far more physical communication to the staff because obviously uh, we have a certain amount of staff that have company email and so forth. But obviously, while they're on furlough, they're not using those. So we've had to make phone calls. We've had to send out um, written letters. um, And we've also found that um, our roles have slightly changed. Obviously, there's an awful lot of staff who are, and quite rightly so, very concerned about the situation. Um, so where we're asking them to come back to work, we're having to give them the comfort that we can bring them back as safely as possible. We've got a number of staff whose partners are working in the front line in hospitals, care homes, uh, schools, etc. So we've had to make adaptations to them, you know. And we've, we've cer- it's certainly been a big challenge on our HR department um, through this period. And uh, you know, our HR manager Pamela Lilly has done an absolutely excellent job. Um, in keeping all of the staff informed with there to answer questions. You know, we've published all the directors' personal mobile phone numbers. They can speak to anybody day or night. And as I said earlier, you know, um, their support has been absolutely amazing. But it has changed the way that we interact, A, with the staff and B, with the client. And when we talk about leadership and um, especially leadership within business, there's plenty of areas that people can draw inspiration from, such as people that they've worked for, mentors, for example, people that they've looked up to in the business world. But one of the greatest inspirations can often be the people around you, can't it? And I can imagine that that's really proving the case at the moment. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, you know, we've had people that have stepped up beyond levels that we ever anticipated that they would, you know, really come to the fore, um, you know, Everybody, you know, this this uh, scenario that we're in has touched everybody in some way. Everybody knows somebody or knows someone who knows someone who has had COVID. I mean, we very, very sadly have had two members of staff who've had family members die of COVID. Um, so it's touched us quite profoundly. Um, and, uh, you know, it's really amazing how everybody has rallied around, helped the support we've had, you know, from the staff, from our from our from our clients and from and from most of our suppliers, you know, I mean, it's 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 really brought out the the, the good human nature side of so many people, and um, and also it's shown us qualities that members of staff have got that perhaps we hadn't seen before that that, that will stand them and us in good stead going forward. And sincerest condolences, of course, to other people I'm affected there. Um, it's hugely inspiring, of course, that they've been able to just get their heads down and carry on throughout this time. And just out of interest, Steve, when we talk about inspirations, um, are there any examples of people out there who you have maybe looked up to and um, have maybe had an impact on your leadership style throughout your career? 
Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm a great admirer of people who've done a lot in business without necessarily having, you know, masses of education and degrees and qualifications behind them. You know, the, the Richard Bransons and, and the Alan Sugars of this world who've gone out and done it by hard work and, and you know, and, and a certain amount of common sense. But I'm not a particularly politically motivated person, but I have to say I, I feel on the whole the handling of the situation of the, by the government and um, and Boris Johnson, who's obviously had a very tumultuous time himself recently um, throughout this and the, and the way they kept the public informed with the daily briefings and so forth. I mean, everybody I speak to in, in my circle of friends, irrelevant of your your political leaning, they feel that, you know, it, what they've done has been good um, and, and it's been inspiring. And, you know, certainly when you listen to them talking, um, you know, they're being honest. Right? They, they admit that sometimes they're not gonna, always going to get it right. Um, uh, but I, And I think, you know, I am amazed at how much they've been able to do to support businesses um, far more than I ever anticipated. I never anticipated the furlough scheme being what it's being, some of the, the business loans and grants that they've got. Um, you know, and I know we can all say, well, it's all got to be paid for somewhere along the line, but it's about the here and now. It's about day to day. It's about and I think they're doing a marvellous job, and I'm personally finding that very inspiring. You mentioned the daily briefings there. I think that's hugely important some as well because that transparency and that honesty that you talk about, huge, huge facets of leadership, um, of course. And um, it has been difficult because trying to provide some sort of reassurance when essentially there's so much uncertainty. There can be a huge amount of pressure on leaders to do that, especially when you've got a lot of quite worried people looking up at you for some indication as to what the future might hold and you may not necessarily know much more than they do. Well, no. I mean, you know, um, from our point of view, um, moving forward is probably more critical um, for the business than the period we've just been through because, you know, whilst we are seeing a very high level of tender inquiries, um, we are seeing it's difficult to actually get them over the line and get awards because people are concerned about committing money. We have had some jobs where They've been shelved partway through, particularly on the housing front. One of the two of the big housing developers we work for are a mothballing project, so we've had to agree where we stop with them. So, you know, as we move into the next six to 12 months, we know that potentially that's going to be more challenging for us than what we've just gone through because obviously nearly all of our work is a tendered contract basis um, and it's, it's keeping that workload going forward. And, and that's where we, we feel that there could be some issues. I mean, we do not know yet as a country how big a recession we will or won't go into. We don't know how much public spending there's going to be, all of which affects many industries, in, including our own, the construction industry. And obviously the staff, you know, they see all these things, they hear the news reports and they read all these things. Um, and yeah, they are concerned. And we have had questions about how safe are our jobs and so forth. And, you know, the answer is we are doing our utmost to keep everything in work and keep the business running as it was. And as I said earlier, you know, our prudence in the past, you know, 56 years in business, um, we've always been prudent in what we've done. We've always made sure that, you know, we've, we've left reserves in the company. Um, and, you know, times like this, and heaven forbid it doesn't come again, is what they're for. I'm a great believer in putting... Um, fail-safes into place in the hope that you'll never need them. Um, but one day you might, and, and this is one of those. And, you know, we can only give staff so much reassurance, um, but we're doing everything we can. You know, it is our intention to um, 
put the staff first where at all we possibly can going forward. But I could not say hand on heart in six months' time we might not have had to make some redundancies or we might have had to recruit staff. We just don't know. Exactly. The future is very uncertain and um, it's good to have those fail-safe sim in place nonetheless. And tell me, Steve, um, for one, we've talked about, of course, there about how you plan to sort of navigate your way through the uh, the pandemic going forward, but all being well coming out of the other end, what are your ambitions for beyond COVID-19? Well, I think that, you know, um, we've, got a, we've got a business that uh, we want to continue growing um, and, uh, you know, we're very proud of what we've got. Um, we we, we know this is now going to be a tough financial year. Our financial year runs with the, um, the economy's financial year. Um, we know it's going to be difficult. We, we've, we've now prepared for that. And we hope to get into a situation when we start the new financial year next year where it can be back to business as normal and, um, you know, we continue to build the business. Um, you know, we, we've, we've doubled the turnover in the business over the last five or six years. Um, and we've done that on a strategic basis because, you know, you can be care- got to be careful of over-trading to make sure you can deliver. But we want to continue to grow and establish our place as, you know, one of the premier um, civil engineering and construction com- companies based in the south of England. Certainly seems like there's a great deal of ambition there, Steve, and let's do hope um, in the future that we can start seeing that upward trajectory again for sure. And I don't see why it wouldn't be brilliant for the listeners if in the next year, once we start to see the mist lifting, we could even maybe have you back on the air with us just to catch up on how the business is getting on as well. Um, as far as today's programme goes, Steve, we are just about out of time, unfortunately, but I've got to say it's been a real insightful experience having you on the air with us and also an absolute pleasure. So thank you ever so much again for taking the time to come on and speak with me. No, thank you very much. It's our pleasure. Likewise, Steve, and do take care and do stay safe with everything still going on as well. And to you. That was Steve Walker, the chairman of Walker Construction. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, A former professional footballer, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals during his club career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. And that's coming up next. Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, And perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, 
So Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership uh, well, I do. I do understand clearly. All walks of life, leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. 
when it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time it maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life and my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. 
I was just happy to be you know, be involved in the squad initially. Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show you. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one, which I won't bore you with, too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, 
um, it didn't but make again, laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily, and of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. 
I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many... Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great and players. You... We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, 
and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.